It's the most popular sport on the planet, with an estimated 4 billion fans worldwide. But not everybody grew up watching or playing soccer, particularly here in the U.S. I sure didn't. I made fun of soccer, called it boring, hard to follow, and not as entertaining as football, basketball, or baseball. But thanks to some basic education about the game and a few viewings of English Premier League matches, I realized I had been wrong all those years, and I became hooked. It's a far more compelling sport to watch than I used to think. Tense, exciting, and when played by the great ones, graceful and elegant. This show is for anybody who's curious why so many people love this game. It's for new fans of the European club teams looking for analysis that doesn't get too far into the weeds because, frankly, we wouldn't know how to be that in-depth. It's for anybody who wants to join us on our journey of getting to know better the most popular sport in the world. We'll talk about the game itself, the rules, the terminology, the strategy, and we'll talk about the top club soccer league in the world, the English Premier League, its teams, its history, its players, each week's games, all of it. We're kind of learning as we go here, but we're hoping you'll share that experience with us and come along for the ride. This is Hands Off Those Balls. Well, it is officially the English Premier League offseason, but that doesn't mean we've got nothing to talk about around here. There are still tournaments being played in Europe. We finally got our hands on a copy of the Court of Arbitration for Sports Opinion on Manchester City's Appeal. And we've got a few postseason awards that we want to hand out today. Welcome to another edition of Hands Off Those Balls. My name is Mike. I am joined, as always, by Jared. Jared, how are you doing this week? I'm doing good, Mike. How about yourself? I am doing okay. So, uh, like I said, we have a few things to talk about, even though... No English Premier League games are happening. I haven't noticed any major uh, personnel moves yet. I know at one time we had discussed the possibility that uh, Dama Traore might be getting shipped off to Liverpool, which just seems like the height of unfair. But I haven't seen anything along those lines yet. Have you seen any kind of uh, personnel? No. It seems quiet right now. So Yeah, I, I like it that way. I just... I, I just got used to who's on whose team. They start trading players. It's going to throw everything off. Um, all right, so I mentioned we finally, after a couple of weeks of teasing it, got our hands on the opinion that the Court of Arbitration for Sport put out on Manchester City's appeal of that two-year ban on European uh, tournament play that UEFA had imposed. Uh, just as a quick reminder... That penalty was imposed by UEFA on the basis of an investigation followed up by a, uh, a tribunal of sorts that they held uh, at the UEFA level that ultimately found that Manchester City, for a few years, had been violating UEFA's fair pay play, I can never get this right, fair, financial, financial fair, play. fair play regulations. Uh, which essentially say you can only pay your players as much money as you bring in on matters like uh, jersey sponsorships, stadium naming rights, um, you know, bring in, you can pay out what you bring in. So UEFA had found that Man City had been violating those regs for years, uh, essentially uh, on the conclusion that... Um, 
Etihad Airlines and another sponsor of Manchester City had essentially had money handed to them by um, His Highness the uh, uh, was it um, Sheikh, Sheikh Mansour, Mansour right? um, who um, you know is a, is a big wig out in uh, Abu Dhabi and. Um, uh, Etihad Airlines is the jersey sponsor of Manchester City, and they happen to be owned by the government of Abu Dhabi. Go figure. Uh, so you you had this appearance that it would be rather easy for um, Etihad and Man City to kind of cook the books in such a way so that Etihad could send in whatever amount of money Manchester City would need in order to pay whatever players Manchester City desired. Um, oh, you uh, you now want uh, to bring in this transfer f- whose contract is $40 million? Okay, we'll just make the jersey sponsorship deal $40 million more. Cha-ching, there you go. Everybody's happy. Um, and, and in essence, that's what these regulations are designed to prevent. So UEFA imposed a two-year ban finding that uh, Manchester City had been essentially laundering is, is really the only word uh, money from outside sources whether it was Sheikh Manzor's own checkbook or w- what it really was uh, upon reading the opinion that the allegation really centered on this um, for lack of a better word um, hedge fund this like equity holding company um, that he was involved in was alleged to have been funneling money through Etihad and this other sponsor to Manchester City to make it appear that this was sponsorship money when in reality Etihad was only paying like 8 million out of 100 million and this uh, this equity holding company was supplying the rest of it whatever was needed the investigation was kicked off on the basis of some emails that um purportedly were between people at Manchester City and either entirely within Manchester City or entities associated with Etihad or um, this holding company. Now, the emails themselves, um, the only reason that the general public knows that they exist is because apparently somebody hacked... um, Manchester City's IT server or, or, or something like that. They, um, there, there's really no question that these emails were not voluntarily released by Manchester City. Far from it. In fact, the, the Manchester City throughout this whole process has been anything but accommodating when it comes to providing evidence um, and has had this righteous indignation throughout about the idea that emails that were only discovered because of an illegal hack could be used against them. Well, the fact of the matter is some, you know, computer guy hacked Manchester City's emails and then fed them to newspapers like Der Spiegel and I think the New York Times ultimately was publishing them. Um, It wasn't UEFA doing that. Um, UEFA got these emails because they were published in the newspapers, so their hands are clean. Um, Maybe not in the minds of Manchester City, but that's what kicked off the investigation. And in fact, that's what formed the majority of UEFA's evidence, are these emails. Um, Now, 
some of these emails are pretty juicy in in making it appear that um, high-ranking people at Manchester City were sort of articulating, okay, so eight million of the funds is going to come from Etihad itself. The remaining is like ninety-six million, and, and I, I might have said dollars, but it's obviously pounds. pounds yeah. um, the remaining huge number, like ninety uh, or ninety-five, something like that. Uh, will come from this holding company. But then they discuss, but it's very important for um, audit purposes that it go through Etihad before it comes to us. I mean, they're saying all of this in the emails. So you never put anything in writing. That's why I don't put anything in writing. Now, what's interesting, and and the Court of Arbitration for Sport was very clear on this point, um, you know, you got these juicy emails, but some of them predate the financial fair play regulations. So the incentive that UEFA was trying to suggest that Manchester City had in order to launder these funds wasn't really there at the time some of these emails were written because the regs weren't around yet. So I understand why the the Court of Arbitration for Sport would say, well, those emails don't really tell us anything you know, as far as bad motive on the part of right. of Man City. Um, you may recall when we talked about this from the um, uh, initial reports we had on it were just a, a press release that the Court of Arbitration for Sport put out about a month ago now. Um, and in that, the Court of Arbitration for Sport said that many of the allegations against Manchester City were time-barred because they were too old they were farther back than UEFA's five-year statute of limitations, meaning UEFA can look back five years to find a violation of these regs, but if it's any older than five years, then UEFA can't do anything about it. Well, of course, the question then becomes, how do you run the clock? You know, what, what event makes that five-year time frame end such that, okay, looking back from this point, five years is as far back as you can go. Manchester City was trying to say the, uh, the, the five-year period should go back from the point at which we had punishment imposed against us, which was like uh, February of 2020. Um, that's when UEFA put out the decision that we're giving you a two-year ban. So Manchester City was trying to say, nah, go back five years from that so you can only look back at stuff from February of 2015 forward. UEFA, on the other hand, was saying, no, 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 no. The, 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 the key event for clocking the statute of limitation isn't when we imposed the punishment. It's when we began the investigation. And that was uh, like March of 2019. So UEFA was saying, we can go back and look at things you did dating back to March of 2014, five years. The Court of Arbitration for Sports said, you're both wrong. Uh, and, and I agree with them. Neither of those answers is really right. Um, the, the, the point that the Court of Arbitration for Sports said was the critical moment was when UEFA chose to move this from an investigation into 
an actual like tribunal. I don't want to call it a court hearing, but when they moved it into a true something formal. Yeah, right. we have investigated you. We believe you committed these infractions. We're now going to hold a hearing where you have the opportunity to present evidence. We'll have the opportunity to present our evidence, and we'll ultimately decide who's right here. Um, and the reason that that makes sense for that being the point at which you start the clock or, or really end the clock, depending on how you look at it, is because the rules that bind all these teams under the, the UEFA rules, the word they use is prosecution, that at the time of the prosecution, you have to prosecute within five years of the event. Well, investigating isn't a prosecution. No. Punishing isn't a prosecution. But the actual hearing where you are litigating that, you know, here's what we found. We're arguing that this is what that means as far as a violation of the reg. That sounds more like a prosecution yeah. to, to me. So so uh, what was that date? That date was May of 2019. It's like May 15th, I think. Okay, so a two-month difference. It was, yeah, I mean, yeah. it wasn't all that bad from UEFA's perspective. It was it was several more months, you know, of... of time that was in play so to speak than man city wanted to see but but it still meant that there were a number of events outside of you know that predated may of 2014 which is as far back as the court of arbitration for sport was saying you could go now it's not like uefa ignored their five-year statute when they were investigating and when they were imposing their punishment it's just that they saw behavior of Manchester City as basically triggering the the statute in a different way than the Court of Arbitration for Sport was. For example, UEFA punished Man City for things they did during the like 2012 through 2013 season and the 2013 through 2014 season. Um, that sounds like it's older than that that may absolutely 2014 but what manchester or rather what uefa was saying is you had submitted financial reports for those years back when those years happened but then you referred to that financial information again in a more recent reporting year so you're still referring to this financial information that we conclude is wrong because etihad didn't earn all this money before paying it it was more funneled through etihad from this equity holding company um so the fact that this might have been the third time you reported that financial information to us at uefa is irrelevant you're reporting it again it's a standalone offense so this is what we're punishing you for cas didn't buy that they said no 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 the infraction, if there is one, occurs the first time they report the information. If they're just relying on their previous reports and repeating it to you, that's not a separate offense. The offense is back when they originally committed it. So that's what right. put things outside the uh, uh, that five-year statute of limitations. So that's why we had that, that uh, press release saying things were outside the statute of limitations. I do have one problem with that, though, because at least here... One of the things that will very often have the effect of tolling a statute of limitations, that's T-O-L-L, basically means pressing the pause button on the stopwatch that's clocking this statute of limitations period. One of the things that will pause or toll the running of that time is if there is fraud. 
And fraud is the whole point of UEFA's case against Man City. UEFA was saying Manchester City defrauded not only UEFA, but all the other teams by providing us false information. In essence, we relied on that false information for years because they gave us that false information. We had no way of knowing they were committing a violation. So you shouldn't hold us accountable for a violation that occurred years before we knew it even existed. That's the point of this exception to the general statute of limitations rules that if there's fraud, you can't hold the other party accountable because they didn't know they had a claim. Or, yeah, they were or working on false make. pretenses. Yeah. So I, I, I really didn't see any reference to that. I don't know if maybe under Swiss law, which is what governs this, because that's where the, 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 the court is. Maybe in Swiss law, tolling the statute for fraud isn't a thing. But that was something that, that kind of surprised me. Um, and by the way, just glancing at my notes, I've been overselling how much laundered money UEFA accused um, uh, Sheikh Mansour's holding company to be paying. It wasn't $90 million, but it was $59 million, again, in relation to the $8 million that Etihad was paying. So again, the emails are really suggesting that this was happening, but because of certain procedural problems... Uh, the Court of Arbitration for Sport found a lot of them weren't able to be prosecuted. Now, what really, though, in my opinion, kind of screwed UEFA is is on something that was a, a, a judgment call that they made really for our benefit, you could say. This, this case was happening this spring, basically while the Premier League wasn't going on. Uh, because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And UEFA really wanted this case to be resolved in time so that we would all know going into the next Champions League season who was eligible. Because obviously Man City is a team who's eligible. And that whole point of do you have to be fourth or fifth in the table to make it to the Champions League uh, was a big question. And so UEFA wanted this thing done in time for us to all know the answer to the question of do you have to be fourth or fifth? So that meant that there was a day back this past spring where Manchester City, who throughout UEFA's investigation was was completely obstinate, didn't provide any evidence, didn't provide any witnesses, told UEFA to go pound sand, didn't authenticate these emails, didn't do anything, even though there's an obligation for them to cooperate. And that's what they ultimately got punished for by CAS. But during that time in the spring where this case was before the Court of Arbitration for Sport, Man City said, okay, we'll give you some of the stuff. We'll give you, you know, you asked for four. We'll give you one, three, and four. We're not going to give you two. And UEFA said, well, we're not happy about it, but we'll take it. And two, you know, in my example here, we'll give you one, three, and four, but not two. Two had to do with the full, um, uh, like runs of emails over a certain time frame that Manchester City, you know, sent among various parties to include Etihad, to include the whole the equity holding company, all these people. So that was the pivotal piece. Would have been like. very yeah. important evidence. Potentially, there's an email out there that's just the total smoking gun, and it's for a time frame that was within the statute and, and could have really lowered the boom. And quite frankly, it's a little suspicious that Manchester City suddenly, you know, finds Jesus and says, okay, we'll give you all this information, but we're not going to give you that one. You know, ding, ding, ding. Isn't that, you know, raising alarm bells that they're up to something? 
but UEFA wanted this thing done, so they said, okay, they fine. Push it. They didn't push it. And the reason that came back to bite them in this opinion is because one of UEFA's arguments was Manchester City's not cooperating. And when you don't cooperate and you have an obligation to cooperate, you can end up having imposed against you by the tribunal what's called an adverse inference. And what that means is, look, the fact that you didn't turn over this evidence, we're all going to operate on the assumption that that evidence says bad things for you. And that's why you're not turning it over. And that it would have been good for the other side if you had turned it over. But the fact that you didn't, we're just going to assume that it's bad. That's what the, this adverse inference means. UEFA was asking for that by CAS. CAS pointed out, you can't get an adverse inference. You waived, you gave up your argument when you said, okay, fine, we'll take items one, three, and four, but not two. At that point, you stopped asking for two. So you can't now cry about not getting two and try to get an adverse inference. Two is no longer being sought. I got a feeling that there were some nasty emails from, oh, yeah. from Manchester City's perspective and, and that UEFA you know, kind of screwed up in, in, for reasons that are understandable from a perspective of we want to have this season be this, the end of this Premier League season to be predictable for everybody. Players, management, fans. us the yeah. fans. Um, so uh, they might have made a mistake from a legal perspective while trying to do a good thing for everybody else. Um, so, and it real, that adverse inference could have really played a part because at the end of the day, Manchester City brought in a lot of witnesses at this hearing. Of course, they didn't provide witnesses back when UEFA was doing their own hearing, but at this, they brought in all these high-ranking muckety-mucks to come in and, you know, harumph, harumph, how dare you suggest we would have done something this shady? We deny it. It's an outrageous accusation. I mean, some of the quotes are, are a little eye-roll-inducing. You know, question, did you, you know, accept money from this equity holding company? You know, categorically, absolutely no, which, you know, to me, I hear somebody <laughs> deny it that strenuously. I'm yeah. like, you know, it doth protest too much, but whatever. Uh, what that left CAS with was a situation where you had emails that painted a certain picture from the perspective of UEFA, i.e. that, Manchester City was cooking the books. But then you had all these decision makers from Manchester City and from Etihad and from, you know, like representatives of Sheikh Mansour all denying that it happened. The burden of proof is on UEFA. For to, sure. Yeah. To convince CAS that something wrong happened. And CAS essentially, at the end of this 93-page opinion, oh my God, um, said... Bless you for reading it all that, Well, I mean... They, I will admit, I, I like kind of scrolled through certain parts where I was like, you're quoting from Manchester City's brief and you already quoted this. I'm not reading it again. Um, anyway, where they landed at the end, they didn't use this term, but this is the term I'm going to use. It was the scales are even. It's 50% for each side. I don't find one of you more credible than the other. I, you know, tie goes to Man City is... is is what they seemed to be saying, which means that that adverse inference could have been really helpful had it could have, UEFA, yeah. you know, sort of crafted this, you know, how, how they had their case the right way. But, you know, that might have meant that the decision would have been delayed and we would be sitting here recording a podcast where we still didn't know who was going to the Champions yeah. League next year. So, 
in that sense, I guess, thank you, UEFA. But um, I don't know, maybe in the future, amend these rules or, or something, because I still think Manchester City cooked the books, laundered the money, whatever evil so, term you want to use. So regardless of what side you fall on, do you feel like this provided the necessary closure to the situation? Sure. I mean, okay. there's no... There's no um, I don't know if there is an appeal process higher than this, but there's there's no one saying they're going there. There probably is. There's probably something okay. where you can go to like actual court. Um, you know, not this sports court, for lack of a better word, because because often when you've got these sorts of procedures in place, they, they do kind of end with okay, and if if one side is still not happy, then it can go to regular court, and you know, regular court will maybe kick it out or not, depending on whether or not you have a regular court style claim. Um, you know, of, of something that's predicated on things other than your little sports regs. You know, the regular court's probably not going to care about sports regs, but um, yeah, you know, if, if, if it was just straight up kind of common law fraud that you're complaining about, then maybe regular court would care, but it doesn't seem like anybody's doing that. So yeah, I think there's closure here. Um, so that was a very lengthy explanation of, of that opinion. Not as lengthy as reading it, though, so you're welcome. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> One less thing I had to do. So, I mean, I I will just add. I when I read that press release, I I expected a different opinion than the one I read. Ninety percent of the conclusions the CAS uh, arrived at were in favor of UEFA and at the expense of Manchester City. I mean, it, lots of times there, there are these arguments because Manchester City was just throwing the kitchen sink against the wall. Um, and you could you could kind of tell like they got some aggressive legal team, which I guess comes with a billion dollar enterprise. Oh, for sure. Um, I mean, they were just they were calling on everything, and, and there were times where CAS is like, okay, you're changing your story. Um, you know, you said one thing before the UEFA, now you're saying something else because you brought in all these witnesses. I mean, you're allowed to bring in witnesses, and I I wouldn't expect you to present the exact same case in both places necessarily, but uh, come on. <laughs> and I think that's why they still hit him with the 10 million euro fine. Um, so that's that's how that en- ended up. Man, Man City can still play in Europe. And they just got to pay 10 million, which you realized with some some quick math was like, what would you say? It was like two hours of work. For yeah, nine, the- 90 minutes work for uh, <laughs> Mansoor Sheik or Sheik Mansoor to actually. I'm sure that'll pay that'll, that off. That'll hit the bottom line hard. Um all right, well, we've also got, as we touched on earlier, there is still soccer being played. We've got um, the FA Cup uh, final just happened. Was it this past weekend? Yeah, it was on Saturday. Um, Arsenal hosted Chelsea in the uh, FA Cup final. And a uh, quick reminder about what this means from a Europa League perspective. Go yeah. ahead. You can you can give the quick reminder. Well, yes, I, I will. So there were a couple. Of, I think there was a berth that was sort of pending on this. So if uh, Chelsea wins this, uh, there's an extra Europa berth available on the table because Chelsea, who's going already, would go under the FA Cup umbrella. So that would open it up to Wolves, I believe. Yeah, that, Chelsea's already going to the Champions League. Right. So you know they wouldn't go to Europa; they'd go to Champions League, but. You know the, the the way that those the Europa rules work is if the winner of the FA Cup is already going to Europe, in essence, Champions League, Europa, whatever, then it opens up to the next 
available spot, available on, the table. spot on the table, which would be Wolves. It would be Wolves. But um, if Arsenal were to win the FA Cup, then they would go and Wolves would be out. So what happened? Well, uh, game starts. Uh, Christian Pulisic gets started early in the fifth minute. Uh, USA. Yeah, things are looking pretty good for Chelsea. Um, but then everything seems to kind of go south for them. Um, in the 28th minute, Aubameyang is taken down in the box on a clear scoring opportunity and converts the penalty kick for the 1-1 equalizer. I and didn't watch this game, did you? I, it, it wasn't on. Oh, right, yeah. right, okay. So I, I, I was going to ask, did yeah. Aubameyang do any crazy approach to the ball on his penalty Actually, kick? Actually, the, the kick, though, was on the highlights, and it was just a normal straight. Ah, nice. Could, couldn't be a... Now he goes up, in my opinion, on that. Yeah. Um, And then this was probably the worst thing, but at the start of the second half, uh, Pulisic actually has another streaking opportunity. Looks a little weird at the end of it, but still gets a shot off and then crumples to a heap. Uh Uh-oh. Looks like he pulled a a hamstring a few steps before the shot and had to leave the game. Uh, Bamiyang scores again in the 67th minute for the 2-1 Arsenal lead, and then Mateo Kovacic... Or Chelsea is sent off the field for getting his second yellow card. Uh, what I've heard was a really questionable call, but I didn't see the game, and the tackle or challenge wasn't in the highlights, so I can't counter with any opinions. But uh, it was uh, they were playing one man down at that point, and after 13 minutes of stoppage time, it's a 2-1 win and an FA Cup championship for Arsenal. I'm shocked that uh, Olivier Giroud didn't have a goal either at like 45 plus three oh, yeah, or at 90 plus. Oh, that, that's his MO, could, yeah. That is his MO. It yeah. could have been 90 plus 10, 10. from the way you're talking yeah. there. So. Uh, so that means Arsenal. Yeah, they'll be, they will be playing ball in Europe. And um, I think you and I were talking offline about that, but Wolves are out. Or do they still have a possible avenue in? Well, one of the other uh, uh, tournaments still going on is this year's Europa League. And in fact, they've still got a lot left to play. They're in uh, the round of 16. Um, and there are two English Premier League teams still alive. Can you name them? I'm going to go out on a limb and say Wolves might be one of them. Wolves is one of them. <laughs> and the other is Manchester United. Okay. So... What happens if Wolves actually wins this year's Europa League? They will get an automatic berth to next year's Champions League, which makes sense because they would be the champions of the Europa League. So they can, even though Arsenal won, they can still play in Europe. They've got 15 other teams they got to get through in the Europa League, but it can happen, um, which would mean, if my count is right, We'd have like eight Premier League teams playing in Europe. It's a bunch. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's why it's the best club Mine's league in the world. Might as well call that the EPL 2 or something. Yeah, right. Um, so, so that's pretty cool. And that, uh, like I said, is still going on. I don't know where you can watch it because... Well, ESPN Plus, I'm trying to think if I want to just drop the uh, $4.99 a month to watch it because that seems to be Oof. my only uh, avenue right now, but... I don't think it's important enough to be getting yeah. more streaming services. I think we've all got plenty already. Um, but I, I think also, I've interrupted you on, uh, on no, your report I, there. Yeah, so that that was it for the uh, FA Cup final. Uh, we also still have the Championship League tournament going on for that third uh, promotion team. Uh, so 
Brentford advanced over Swansea City and Fulham advanced over Cardiff City. Both uh, semifinals went three goals to two. Uh, they were the top seeds, so no real surprise there. Three to two on aggregate? Yes. Look at me using it, lingo here. Very good. Um, so just in case anybody doesn't know how this works. So you've got uh, four teams that make this tournament to fight it out for that third promotion berth. So rather than give either team in, in either semifinal a home field advantage, they play two matches, one at the home field of you know Team A and one at the home field of Team B, and you simply add the scores of each game to come up with the total score or on the aggregate uh, score, and whoever comes out ahead on that aggregate score moves on to the final, which is played where? The final's going to be uh, Brentford hosting. I don't think so. You don't? I do not. Really? I, yeah. I did. I bet a few beans on this one. I believe the final for the championship uh, tournament is held at Wembley. Oh, well, you could be right about that. I was just looking at the way the teams oh, were listed. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, and and there's no, that's why there's no first leg, right. second leg. Yeah. The, all these things, they do it. Like, I think the New, league neutral one, location. Yeah, I yeah. think the league won. You know, if they have something like this, I think they do it at Wembley. Like, where, where is Wembley? London. Okay. Yeah, it, it's the big. It's where like Live Aid was. Okay, it's but their, it's their big. But no team. That's like not the any, Rose Bowl. That's no team's home. I don't think so. I mean, no. I mean, at this point, we know all the. Yeah, you know, that's I mean, true. Who plays where? At least among the twenty that were in the Premier League this year. Um, yeah, it's it's used for big. St- like if if London. Well, I guess they did recently. Didn't they host the Olympics, like, last time? They did. <laughs> or, or relatively recently. Yeah, I feel like it was 2012. Yeah, I mean, they would do stuff at Olympics, Wembley. It's, yeah. the, it's their big their big stadium um, among several stadiums in Europe, or rather in uh, London, but that's their big one. Uh, odds right now, I, I checked earlier today, uh, Brentford at plus 110, Fulham at plus 240, and the draw at plus 220. So that was... Uh, what I was able to see from that. I don't get that. If if one of them is plus 110, why would the other be, be such a bigger dog? What yeah, you, you would think one of them would be minus to be the other one to right. be plus. But it's, I don't know. it's only 110. I mean, it's not even that. I may need to look at that. But I, I had sort of taken that to be that, uh, you know, it's like, 50% for a Brentford victory, 25% for Fulham, and then 25% for draw. But then it also they can't, can't have a draw. You can't finish in a draw. So Oh, I, is it possible? Maybe uh, that's at the end of regulation. I don't know. Is it? Is it uh, maybe you can't bet? Or maybe the bet is at the end of regulation plus stoppage be. time. It may be. I was just trying to get a feel for what the uh, lines makers were coming up hmm. on this. And it seems like a slight advantage for Brentford, regardless of how you view these. But most importantly is if you go back to our cast from five or six weeks ago when Mike and I were predicting uh-huh. the uh, promotion candidates, we both got Leeds and West Brom correct. And for, well, I don't think either of us were going too far on a limb on that one. That's true. They were leading at the, uh, <laughs> at the time. But uh, I picked Brentford to win this tournament, and Mike picked Fulham, and those are the two in the finals. So. That was before knowing exactly who was going to make this tournament, although again it is. You know, yeah. we, I think you and I both just looked at, okay, who's in third through sixth right now? Well, I remember I went by goal differential, and you went by who owned the Jacksonville Jaguars, <laughs> so that was <laughs> right. your that was your, your very scientific <laughs> yeah, method so. I used there. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty much it for the happenings. 
So uh, one other thing we wanted to do today um, is go through our postseason awards. Uh, Jared and I each independently uh, came up with some uh, performances and whatnot that we thought deserved special recognition. Uh, so this will be the first annual Hands Off Those Balls Awards, uh, which uh, we think should uh, go by the nickname The Handsies. Handsies. Yeah, I think that works. You, know, you got your Emmys, you got your, your Grammys. These are the Handsies. Handsies. So uh, why don't you uh, lead us off, Jared? What's uh, who, who do you want to recognize with the first Hansie of the first annual Handsies? Well, I will say I just have one interesting note in doing research for this. Um, 32 players tied for the lead in own goals at one. So I was very happy that we didn't have to have a Benedict Arnold award because that was uh, <laughs> that was the first place I kind of looked. Um, but my first award, I'm calling it the Admiral Akbar Award. It's a trap? Yeah. Um... What kind of traps can you have in uh, soccer? Well, like a trap game? So what this award goes to Chris Wood, the Burnley forward, for 35 offsides calls. Oh. Offside trap. My goodness. So, yeah. Um, I take it that led the league. Yes, that, that did lead, lead the league. Uh, my second award. Oh, I, no, wait. We're, we're going to oh, go back and forth. Oh, we'll go back and forth. All right. Excellent. Uh, this one's really quick. It's relatively self-explanatory, but... Uh, mostly because I like the name. So I'm calling this one the Sun Shines on a Dog's Ass Once in a While Award, uh, going to the entire Watford team for being the first team to beat Liverpool in the English Premier League play this year uh, before ending their season getting relegated back to the championship. Yeah, um, that's a good one. Uh, and, and obviously, Nigel Pearson gets, you know, one of the statuettes, not whoever ends up yeah. being the uh, the manager now. Because he was there then, and he got him past Liverpool, so he deserves it. And he wasn't at the helm when they got relegated. So, exactly. Yeah. It's, um, number two for me, I'm calling the Coke and Whores Award. Nice. Uh, this goes to Tyrone Means, the Villa defender, with three goal line clears off the chalk line. That was hmm. most in the league. So wow, how do you find that stat? That's uh, I was just looking around. And how about I, that? I was trying to find unique ones where there was a clear winner, and you know, a lot of people were tying for like, you know, you know, you had like ten to fifteen guys tying for the top. But right. I tried to find unique ones that yeah. actually uh, led. I like that. All right. Uh, so my next one uh, is the Library of Congress Award. Uh, what's that? You ask? Maybe you can figure it out. What do you think the Library of Congress Award is? Well, I would think it had something to do with, like, literature or rules or... Books. Books? Oh, the... Most bookings. Most, most bookings. So, we do have a tie, uh, albeit for slightly different reasons. So, Luka Milivojevic from Crystal Palace has... Uh, earned himself 12 yellow cards this year. Uh, Jefferson Lerma from Bournemouth had 11 yellow cards, but he threw in a red as well. Wow. So he got 12 books. And, um, Luca got 12. So I didn't want to split hairs and say that, well, you know, the Bournemouth guy's worse because one of his is a red. Um, I, I was a little surprised that 
Um, couldn't find anybody uh, with uh, two reds. I was, I was positive that Harry Maguire must have had two reds because the guy is just a thug who yeah. beats people up. So I, I was pretty surprised at that. Um, all right. Uh, what's your next award? Uh, so this one I actually had to look up some of the you know vernacular you know dictionary terms for English soccer, which I'm not familiar with. So when someone takes the ball away from you, what do you call it? A steal? Yes, that's what I would call. Uh, apparently it's called being dispossessed. Oh, um, I have heard that. You have I, heard I, this. I, I, I can definitely hear that. Um, so I had originally called this uh, this award the Exorcist for dispossessed, ah. but I, I changed it because... Why? I, that seems, that's pretty good. Well, it, it's it, it's having the ball stolen from you. I thought the the Exorcist sounds like a cool award. This should oh, not be. Oh, you don't want to get the Exorcist. Right. Okay. So uh, I call this one the biggest loser because you're losing the ball. Hmm. Um, so Wilfred Zaha of Crystal Palace with an astonishing 148 times dispossessed. Um, next up was teammate Jordan Ayew uh, with only 95, but it kind of speaks a little to Crystal Palace's wow. demise of the top two yeah. from that team. Yeah, well, they're just getting. I think the, it's Ayew. AU. But, uh, but yeah, that's that's something. Yeah. That it's, and and what, there was a pretty good spread there. Would you say the, that Zaha was at 140 something? 148 to 95. I mean, it wasn't even Jeez. close. Yeah. All right. He needs some stick em on his <laughs> on his boots, as they would say. Speaking of boots, uh, that brings us to uh, my next award here. So you have the golden boot. Uh, I decided we need to have the steel boot. And it's not a steel-toed boot, you know, that you would work in. Uh, the steel boot is awarded to the player who has missed the most shots in the past year. I Can I take a guess on this one? You can. Was it uh, Mo Salah? Excellent work. Uh, and he won it rather handily. Yeah, it was. Uh, he, he missed like 112, I want to say, close to... You are remarkably close. He missed 113. Yeah. He shot 130, which you know might be. I'm looking at a different source than you are, but no. Uh, but it, it was funny because I was looking at an award around this. Like, <laughs> so Jamie Var, um, Jamie Vardy scored 23 goals against like 89 shots. Mo Salah scored 20 against 132 32. shots. Yeah. I mean, the accuracy was just incredible. Uh, the difference between those two. Yeah, it real like he Salah took like. 15 or 20 more shots than the next yeah. guy. Now, that speaks, I think, to Liverpool's offense that they're able to get him in a position to shoot that much. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I just I thought it was, at first blush, kind of surprising. Like, wow, he's good. He shouldn't be missing. It's like, well, he's good. He's taking a lot of shots. That It's not necessarily an indictment on his. Right. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I think his day job is secure. Uh, so, all right. Well, what's your what's your final award here? Uh, so, my final award. So, this actually had to change based on I. When I was reading this stat, I got a little bit more excited, and uh, before I actually found out what it was, but I called this the Yo Adrian, I did it award. Um, <laughs> so, this goes to Vicente Guaita, uh, the Crystal Palace keeper, for punching the ball twenty-two times in the zone. 
Again, where are you finding these stats? Just the uh, English Premier League. Uh, Jeez. And yeah, so that's a, like on a corner? Yeah, a corner or just, something in there just rushing huh. and punching it out. But, you I know, like when, I, when I saw punches, I was thinking, oh, well, someone's probably got to have one or two. You know, I, I would have thought Harry Maguire had right. about 10. You know, I was thinking, but then when I saw, you know, people were in the 20s, I'm like, okay, this, this is something different mm. than what I had originally thought. Nice. Um, well, my final award here is the Iron Man Award. And it's uh, actually being uh, given out to seven different players. Um, so, how quick is your math? These players have all this season played 3,420 minutes. Any guess what 3,420 divided by 38 might be? Yeah, I have a problem with this, too. That it's not counting stoppage time? Yes, it's 90. But sh shouldn't they normally, you know, I mean, you can't just... I think that might have gotten unruly to try to keep it. Maybe, but I... I and I, it's a little unfair in, in the sense that you had that 11-minute stoppage time in that match you were talking about before, and like, oh, what, I should... Of course, these are made-up awards. Right, <laughs> it's yeah. It's not like this is an award thing. No one's going to be suing us because of our what we've come up with here. Right. But at least, to me, it, it's a little... It's the only way you can apples to apples it is to go with the 90 because not everybody's playing. No, not every team has access to the same amount of stoppage time. If that makes sense. That's true. I just I, I was really interested to see who had played the most. And when I saw there were 15 guys that had all tied for 3420, then well, I started. You saw 15 because I only saw seven. Uh, I might have to check. I didn't actually write it down because I didn't have this as one of my awards. Because oh, I oh, oh, I know why you saw 15. I forgot. I do have a, a, a slight. Uh, distinction here more than seven players played 34 20 i'm not counting goalies oh yeah that just, fair enough you know, yeah. goalie whatever. yeah so they should be able to play forever yeah so. um so those seven players are george baldock from sheffield connor cody from wolves the aforementioned harry mcguire uh again because he didn't get Several well-deserved Reds, yeah. in my opinion. Uh, Declan Rice for West Ham, who's a midfielder. I'm pretty sure everybody else here is a defender. Uh, so, That's pretty good. I mean, yeah, there's a running, lot of running around. Yeah. Um, James Tarkowski from Burnley. James Ward-Prowse from Southampton. And, of course, Virgil van Dyke from Liverpool. Yep. Who is you know, the best of that bunch yeah. by far. I, I sort of had an honorable mention for uh, Virgil, uh, oh. the Joe Montana Award, because he led the league in passes. So, No kidding. Yeah. That's, uh, I don't know. Maybe it isn't surprising, but, uh, I mean, uh, I just would have thought it would be a midfielder, that they'd get the ball back yeah. more than a defender would. But he's a, you know, front-leaning defender, for lack of a better <laughs> term. Um, all right. Well, um, we... We managed to fill more time today than I, frankly, expected us to, considering we didn't have any Premier League matches to talk about. Um, but uh, we are going to wrap it up because I think we've expended everything that we did prepare for this. <laughs> did we forget anything, Jared? I think that's everything. No, I did want to ask you if you could uh, offer oh. your opinions. Uh, I on, forgot about this. Yeah. Uh, so just... A lot of Americans are now turning to European soccer, especially seeing how well they weathered the pandemic, uh, you know, especially compared to American sports, uh, which is... Looking at you, Major League Baseball. Yeah, sort of an embarrassment right now. But, you know, the number one question for newcomers who might be listening to the show or otherwise interested um, is how 
do you pick a team if you've got no genealogical or cultural ties to Europe? I mean, what's sort of the thought process? I think people know by now that you're a fan of the Tottenham Hotspur. I have mentioned that. Um, so I will tell you the process um, through which I went. So a few years ago, I saw an article, a column on one of these, you know, sort of sports commentary websites that was talking about this thing called the English Premier League. And I was like, ah, soccer, whatever. Um, and, you know, it was sort of written for, for the ah, soccer, whatever reader um, in sort of explaining how things work and explaining what teams have what history and the like. And I remember going through and I sort of got the idea from that column that, okay, you got teams like Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Tottenham Hotspur, and Arsenal are, are sort of these classic old teams that, that have been around forever and are good. And then, you know, you got a bunch of, uh, you could throw Everton in there because they're always around, but they're not one of the big six. Um, and so when I was starting to get into it this year, I kind of thought back to that column and I said well I need a team well I know better than to pick Manchester United uh, I am as I've said does before, everyone picks them or? well I don't know if everyone does but but I can't pick teams like that because I'm a New York Yankee fan and if I want to maintain any amount of credibility I can't have all of my teams be, be Yankees. these like historically yeah. successful teams uh, it's it's me being a New York Jets fan, I feel gives me some street cred <laughs> when I'm confronted <laughs> with one of these like Yankees, Cowboys, Duke fans that you want to push off a bridge. Uh, at least I can say, dude, I've never seen my team get to the Super Bowl, um, much less win one. So I didn't want to pick Manchester United. Uh, kind of thought about Chelsea, uh, but ultimately settled on Tottenham Hotspur because... I think it's a cool name. <laughs> That's a, as good a reason as any. And in I fact, mean. I'm not going to get, I, I, I looked into it, I'm not going to get the play right. But apparently, the Hotspur, that part of the name is taken from a Shakespearean play. There's a character who's got that, I guess, in his name. And somehow that found its way into Spur's full name. So, you know, whatever. But, you know, the thought process was, I want a team that's good, but not... Manchester United, uh, you know, and, and but that's not teetering on relegation or right. sort of in that, yeah. yeah. And and the whole you know fear of being a Manchester United fan, you know, kind of kept me away from Liverpool when I you know it's this season, and I'm like, well, who should I? Well, there's this one team that hasn't lost yet. I'm not picking them. Um, so I mean, that was the process I used. Um, I, I'm uh could certainly see why somebody would would perhaps want something a little better than ooh neat name but uh you know we, no, we, we are mean, we are rooting yeah. for laundry here so right. you know people yeah. have have used far worse reasons than that in history to pick their teams so i know you've still you're still debating what uh, what team to root for yeah, and my I, only advice i would say take a big 6 big 6 or Everton, like what do you get to West Ham? You, you may not be rooting for him next year. That's true. I mean, it just it seems so cliched and trite to pick one of them, and and so easy, right? Like I, 
I mean, I would say you could include something like Newcastle in the mix because they're they're pretty good. They've got some historic success. You know, they've. I, I think it. I'm not remembering the name, but I think the guy who has the record for most goals in Premier League history played for them for a while. Yeah. Um, I couldn't do it because every time I watch a Newcastle match, everybody looks like a ref. So yeah. I mean, the one the one advice I've I've been reading is is people just say watch a bunch of games. And you won't pick a team. The team will pick you. That's what I've heard. So. Like maybe you, you sort of, well, ha, put Wolves in the mix. I mean, they are they are a fun team to root for. They're definitely sure. my second favorite team. I, they have the best logo I, in my pitching. Best logo. Down. They got the the player who's the most fun to watch in Treori. And Nuno Espirito Santo has the best beard in professional sports. So there's a lot to yeah. like. So maybe next time I'll have one picked. Um, we'll ah, see. I've, I've got nice. it. Yeah, I've got it down Good to tease uh, there. a handful, but we'll see. All right, and with that cliffhanger, we will wrap things up. I, Fifty-three minutes. I, I thought this was going to be a short episode, but uh, I got long-winded talking about the uh, uh, CAS opinion. It was ninety-three pages in my defense, so I, I was trying to cover a few different things. Um, we are going to take next week off. I, I can hear your disappointment from here. Uh, but uh, this is this is the off season for the EPL. It will be a bit of an off season for hands off those balls as well. We will be coming back soon, though, um, and uh, so we'll be keeping an eye on things like player transfers that could be happening. The next season is set to start on September twelfth, so that's not too far away. And we will obviously be back with another episode well before the next season starts. So thank you for tuning in this time. We don't have a show without you. And we look forward to speaking with you again soon. Take care, everybody.